Well, we're starting a new series, a Christmas series this morning. The series is entitled Revealed, Revealed. If you'd open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to spend the bulk of our time right here in Luke chapter 1, Revealed. God is so good, and he chose to reveal himself to us. He chose to reveal himself to you and to me. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you are peakers? How many of you are peakers in regards to Christmas? You can't wait, right? If the tree is, if the gift is under the tree, you're taking a look, right? You're going to peel back. How many? Come on, let's get a little poll going here. How many of you, you just can't wait? You can't wait to know what the gift is. All right, so how many of you, I'm going to assume it's the rest, it, are you, you're like, you're fine waiting till Christmas morning. There's no urge to, to take a look. All right. So you're all normal. Okay. We have peakers in our house, and I won't say who. Um, there's something about Christmas morning. It's just amazing. If you think back to when you were a kid, I, I don't think there's too many kids who wouldn't say of Christmas, like, I love Christmas morning. Right, it's that that waking up and and well, in fact, it starts the night before. It's Christmas Eve. Like, how many of you, when you were a kid, or maybe still, have a hard time going to sleep on Christmas Eve because you're just so excited? Right, Cherie's like, yeah, I'm right there. That's me. I love I loved Christmas Eve, and I was like, I know I, know I have to go to sleep because because then it'll go fast, and then it'll be the morning, and it'll be Christmas. But I'm just so excited, right? And, and uh, you could hear activity downstairs. Of course, it was Santa Claus and not your parents, right? If any of you are still believers, just um, don't want to ruin anyone's uh, illusions here. But you know that things are happening downstairs that are going to be good for you, and you can't wait. Jim's a little surprised. He's asking. He's like, what are you talking about? Um, talk to Casey. She'll fill you in. Um, you know stuff's happening downstairs and you can't wait. You can't wait to get downstairs. And we had we lived in a two-story house when I grew up. And, and I just remember running down the stairs, waking up and running down the stairs because I wanted to see the tree. We were one of those families that we didn't put the gifts out till, till Christmas Eve or till midnight Christmas, right? Gifts didn't go under the tree until Christmas because Santa didn't come till Christmas. I know that some people, you're like, hey, we get the, the, the gifts out there and they start piling up. Our house, there was nothing. So as a kid, we had no idea. We had no idea until Christmas morning what the, what the, the hall was going to be, as it were. <laughs> and so we would get downstairs. We'd, and then, of course, then it was the process of waking mom and dad up because they actually had been up to like 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and so they're dead tired. They're like, I do not want to get up at 6 o'clock, but it's Christmas. And then, and then, of course, my dad was the one who would do, well, okay, we'll come downstairs, but first I have to get my coffee. Well, get the instant stuff. Make it quick. Let's go. Um, well, no, let's have breakfast first. And let's, no, let's brush our teeth. I'm not brushing my teeth. It's Christmas. Come on. And finally, we would sit down and we'd have the opportunity to open the gifts. And taking those gifts and unwrapping the wrapping and realizing that you got what you asked for. 
That there was some gift, some, something big, something special, something meaningful that you realize you got what you asked for. What a great feeling. What a great feeling. It's absolutely amazing. It's on Christmas morning that the gifts are revealed. It's on Christmas morning that the gifts are revealed. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to talk about revealed. We're going to talk about God's desire to reveal himself to us. And you know, all through the word of God, from the beginning to the end, you see clearly that God is not in, in, in any way, shape, or form trying to conceal who he is. From the moment that Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of, of Eden because of sin, God started this process of revealing himself to his creation. Because of the separation and the wall that was built because of sin, God's, God starts finding ways to work around that and say, I need my people to know who I am. And so the word of God and, and, and this Bible itself is all about God revealing himself to us. In fact, in Isaiah 65 verse 1, the prophet Isaiah writes these words, I revealed myself, this is God speaking, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me, and I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am, or here am I. God's heart to reveal himself to a nation who, who didn't even, weren't even looking for me. To people who didn't even know that I existed or, or even ask. I mean, it's one thing to get a gift because you asked for it, right? I mean, it's, it's still a good feeling because you, you're just not quite sure, am I going to get what I asked for? But when you get something and you didn't ask for it, that's entirely a different feeling there's ever been a christmas present that you you thought you know i'm not going to ask for that because there's no way there's no way you know i know our family we're just not in a place right now where we could afford that or whatever the case would be and then to get up on christmas morning and find out that you got the gift that you hadn't even asked for that's huge Think about what God has done for us. He says, you weren't even asking for me, and I revealed myself to you. We find in the Christmas account the culmination of this revelation journey, the culmination of this process by which God, just little by little, was saying to the world and saying to his people, here I am, here I am, this is who I am. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger represents to us the incomprehensible and infinite love and expression of God. That that baby wrapped and laid in a manger is the culmination of that revelation journey, God revealing himself to us, Jesus coming as a baby, taking on flesh for us. And in Christ, in that baby, we have hope revealed, joy revealed, peace revealed, and love revealed to us. So over these next four weeks, we're going to look at each one of those. We're going to talk about hope today. Next week, we're going to look at joy, joy that is revealed in Christ. We're going to talk about peace, and then the 
the Sunday before Christmas, love revealed. Love revealed. So today, hope. Hope. I want to start this morning, and each Sunday we're actually going to kind of kick off our time by looking at a Christmas carol. I love Christmas carols. I love going Christmas caroling. Come join us on the 12th. We're going to go out into this neighborhood right around us, and we're going to go bless our neighbors here around Sellers Elementary. We're going to invite them. In fact, we're going to have little invitation cards. We're going to give out little gift bags with cookies and just bless our neighbors. But I love Christmas caroling. I, in fact, it's hard not to love Christmas carols. Um, now, there's a couple of Christmas carols. I won't mention them by name, but, but you start listening to the radio around this time of the year, and there's a few by the end of the Christmas season. You're like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Because you've played that song a million times, and it's just stuck in your head. But by and large, I just love Christmas carols. I love the story. I love the meaning. And there's a lot of Christmas carols that we just sing the words without really even thinking about or even understanding. There's some, some of the older Christmas carols you go, I'm not sure what that word means. I'm just singing it. But I don't know what that exactly means. We're going to take a look each week at a different Christmas carol that ties into our theme for the morning. Um, so this morning, we're going to take a look at Oh Holy Night. Oh, Holy Night, the beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol. I'm going to give you a little bit of history behind this song because it helps us to understand where it came from and give some, some weight to the words. We're going to actually going to listen to the Christmas carol in a few minutes. Um, the, the Christmas carol was written uh, in 1847 by a man named Placide Capot de Rocamoire. <laughs> is a Frenchman, and I probably just butchered his name. Um, he was asked by a local priest to write a poem for a Christmas Eve service that they were going to have. Here's the interesting thing about Placide, though. He was an atheist. He was an atheist. He was a good poet, and he was the local wine connoisseur. The wo- he Actually, his job was to test the wine in the area and make sure that it was up to par. That was his job. But he was a poet. And so the priest comes to this poet and says, hey, I need a poem written for a Christmas Eve service. Would you write a poem? So he reads the book of Luke and, uh, and for inspiration, wondering if he can even do this. And he pens the words to O Holy Night. It was a few years later that uh, they realized that this poem, which was instantly popular instantly a hit, that it should be put to music. And so they asked a man named uh, Adolf Charles Adams to write the score for O Holy Night. Turns out that this man was Jewish and didn't believe in Jesus. (laughs) But he wrote the score anyhow, and instantly in in France, the song was, if, if they could have had a billboard, you know, top 10, it was a smash hit. It was a smash hit, became super, super popular until the Catholic Church said, you know, um, we, we think that this, war, this song is absolutely too secular, so we're not going to allow it to be sung in mass anymore. When you consider the words, that doesn't really line up, but, but I think it had more to do with the writers than it did with the song itself. That didn't stop the French people from loving the song, and they sang it over and over and over again. In fact, there's a a story that goes that there was a French soldier during the the First World War who 
in the middle of a firefight on Christmas Eve, jumps out of his trench and starts singing the song at the top of his lungs with bullets just whizzing by. Well, the, the fire, the, the shooting ceased, and, and, a, and a German soldier gets out of his trench and comes over and, and recites the song back to him in German. And it was at that moment that they made the, a truce, and over Christmas, all fighting ceased over that time um, because of this man who got out and sang the song. In 1855, a, a man named John Sullivan Dwight here in the U.S., decided that the song needed to be translated into English, and he wrote the words to O O Holy Night in English. John was a Unitarian minister. Unitarians believe that just kind of whatever you believe is okay. (laughs) Weird, huh? Whatever you believe is okay, but he's the one who wrote the words in English to O Holy Night. 1906, a Canadian inventor named Reginald Fessenden played the song on the radio. It's the first song that was ever transmitted live or transmitted over the radio waves. A little trivia for you. It was the first song ever played over the radio. And, uh, and, and this gentleman, Fessenden, was credited with being the, the father of modern radio as we know it today. In fact, it was Christmas Eve. He read out of Luke chapter 2, uh, and then he played the song on his violin. And they say that sailors over 100 miles away at sea heard that song and that message, the gospel, over the airwaves for the very first time that night. It's the third most recorded Christmas carol behind, well, let's see if we can guess. What do you think the top two are? Joy to the world and Silent Night. Silent Night being number one, Joy to the World. Silent Night, by the way, is like, like twice as popular as the next one is Joy to the World. But third is O Holy Night. The words are so meaningful and so impactful. I want you to do this. We're, we're going to play the song um, this is a recording. By the way, if you search for O Holy Night, like in iTunes, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of musicians. Everyone, everyone from, well, if you Perry Como to, I found out that NSYNC did a version of O Holy Night. I was so tempted to play that one. Um, <laughs> Mariah Carey, Shania Twain, you name it, they've sung it. Um, People that you would think, wow, you're singing that song? Okay, that's interesting. They've sung it. But we're going to listen to a version by Pentatonics, who are a, uh, an a cappella group. Close your eyes and listen to the words. We're just going to listen to the first, first, uh, the first uh, verse in the, in the chorus. Guys, go for it. Holy night, the stars are brightly shining.
if you weren't in the Christmas spirit, you are now, right? Let's <laughs> take a look at those words. There's one line or a couple of lines in particular. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Long lay the world in sin and error pining in our broken state. Wanting more, knowing there had to be more. Stuck in that pining, wanting something else. And this had gone on for a long, long time. Till he appeared in its soul and the soul felt its worth. Jesus is born and brought value to every single life. That before the birth of Jesus, before the advent of Christ, people were wondering, is there more? Does my life mean anything? But because of who Christ is, that our soul, our very existence has worth and it has value. To consider that this song, these words, these incredible words written by an atheist, the song written, the score written by a man who didn't believe in Jesus, translated by a guy who believed that, hey, whatever path you choose is okay, that the truth of God and the hope of God will not be held back by mere men. And that this song has been played and replayed and played again, declaring the glory of God and bringing hope. Hope. Hope that can transform. Hope that can save. Hope that takes us out of our stuck places and helps us look ahead to something better, something bigger, something greater. As Jason and Rosie shared, there was a hope that Rosie had for her marriage because of God, something God had deposited in her years before that kept her eyes fixed and saying, I am contending the hard work of plowing because God's got something else. The thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. You ever been weary? (laughs) You ever been tired? You just just worn out. You just think, oh, I've got nothing else to give. And in that moment, hope is realized. It's thrilling. In a weary world, weary of sin, weary of carrying that burden, rejoices in the birth of Jesus Christ. See, hope. God-centered, eternal hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not as the world would say, well, I hope it happens. It may or may not. That's not godly hope. That's just wishful thinking. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, oh well. That is not the hope that God is speaking of. The hope that comes from knowing him. It's a deep, deep, deep knowing that no one can take away. That when God has promised, when God has said, when he has deposited seeds of hope in you, you know that it will be as he has said it would be. In fact, the, the, the Greek word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 5 is the word elpis. Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. 
joyful and confident. That is hope. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope does not disappoint us. But you'll notice that before hope happens, there's other things going on. There's trials, there's perseverance, there's suffering that takes place, character that gets built. But God says in the midst of that, I am depositing seeds of hope in your life. I'm depositing seeds of hope in your life. Knowing that God will come through and he will do what he said he will do. Because of the love that he's poured out by his Holy Spirit that nothing is lacking even in the hard times, even in the hard times, that God says he will do what he says he will do. He will not disappoint. You know, there's another family in the Christmas story that I think sometimes gets overlooked a little bit. It's a little family named Zechariah, Elizabeth, and baby John. Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their baby John, who, of course, became John the Baptist. I'm going to read their life story, a little story, not their life, the whole life story. We're going to read about their lives. This is in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 5 to 25. I want you to hear about what God did in this, this couple and in their family. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and uh, regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, uh, many of the people of Israel, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts to their fathers. uh, of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak till the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home, and after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It's a powerful, powerful story. Powerful picture of God's hope being revealed. Zechariah was a priest and he served along with 20,000 other priests in Israel at that time. Herod was the king of Israel. He had been appointed by Caesar as the king of Israel. He was half Jewish, and so the people didn't like him. And of course, he becomes the Herod that kills the children, kills the babies trying to find Jesus and trying to eliminate uh, the threat of Christ. The priests served. They were, the, the Jews at that point were not under slavery, but they weren't free either. But they had their temple and they were going through the process of, of, of worshiping God. And so Zechariah and his clan of Abijah, they would serve about two weeks a year. They would go to Jerusalem and they would serve in the temple and make offerings and, and, and fulfill the law in that way. Elizabeth mentions that she came from Aaron, from Aaron's line. Aaron was the first priest of Israel. And so both of them came from a priestly line um, and it says of them that they were good people. Of course, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. And after Mary finds out that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she goes to visit Mary for a while. And they have an incredible encounter uh, right here in the book of Luke. You can read about that. But th- these were good people. Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people. They didn't have any children and they were older. They were advanced in years, scripture says. Consider this for a second. It says that by lot, Zechariah was selected to go into the temple. But it was not by lot. It was not just by chance. God had orchestrated from the beginning of the foundation of the earth that on that day at that time, Zechariah would be in the temple. See that the priests were selected to go in and make offerings and and offer the incense in in the, the Holy of Holies. And it was a fearful thing because if you went in and there was sin in your life, you would instantly drop dead. And so it's in this place where Zechariah is already fearful, but he's a blameless man. And so he's doing okay that this angel shows up to him and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. At some point along the way, Zechariah prayed and said, God, we'd love to have a baby. We'd love a child. I don't know if that had been a recent prayer because it says he was older and they'd resigned themselves, it sounds like, to the fact that they wouldn't be parents. But maybe it was a prayer prayed years ago, maybe even decades before by Zechariah. And and Gabriel says to him, your prayer has been heard and has been answered. Can I tell you there's no statute, statute of limitations on prayer? 
God does, if you pray a prayer, it doesn't expire in three months. And God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. His timing is different to ours, but God doesn't forget. There were good people not able to have children. But in this moment, Gabriel says, Elizabeth is going to have a child. Zechariah has a hard time with the news. Kind of like Sarah in the Old Testament, right? (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm old. I'm old. This, how, is this, how is this even possible? And I love Gabriel's response. Can you just kind of picture him like, like taking a stand? I, I, I just imagine kind of a Lord of the Rings kind of scene where he just, you know, he, he starts saying, he's like, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> right? Why would you doubt me? Why would you doubt me? Because of that, Zechariah becomes mute. And I don't think it's a punishment. God's always looking for an opportunity for his glory to be revealed in our our lives. And we're going to read some of Zechariah's words in just a few minutes. But God needs Zechariah to remember that when he says he'll do something, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He says that John is going to be an amazing, amazing child, that he would prepare the way, that he himself would turn people in Israel back to God, and that he would prepare the way for Jesus to come so that people, people's hearts would be prepared to hear from him. In fact, Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 5 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that, uh, that her heart service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for God. Isaiah writes about John. He writes about John. He prophesies and he says that there will be one that comes before and hey, he would speak about who God is. I don't know if we have any concert goers. Any, any of you like, uh, you love going to live concerts, uh, you know, music concerts. If you've ever been to a show, you know this. There's always an opening band, right? There's always an opening band. And the opening band, more often than not, is kind of the same genre. They'll have the same sound as the band that they're warming up for. And, and, and you think, well, you're just the opening act. But I can tell you, a lot of mainstream bands that have made it big started out as opening bands. And they serve a very important purpose. See, your opening band gets the audience ready for the main event. They kind of prime the pump, as it were, and get them ready to hear. John was the opening band for Jesus. He came onto the stage before Jesus did. His cousin... But much older, or a bit older, not much older, actually, just a few months older. But he, but he starts his ministry, rather, before Jesus does. And he starts pro- proclaiming and declaring who Jesus is in a way to prepare people to receive the message of salvation. In a way for them to be ready to receive what God has for them. John's role was huge. John walked in a place of fulfilling prophecy as we just read in Isaiah, that it was prophesied that John would come and that he would speak about who God is, who Jesus would be, and the salvation that would be available to his people. Through John, 
the way would be prepared for people to see Christ. It was John who baptized Jesus in the river. And when Jesus came out of the river, that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Catch this for a second. Jesus was baptized by John in the river. Jesus comes up. The Spirit descends like a dove. And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. John was baptized from the, in the Holy Spirit from when? From birth. He had the tools he needed to prepare the way, to usher in the hope that God was sending. And he himself went on to preach the gospel and make an impact for the kingdom. The hope of God expressed in one family who from the very start of the priestly, uh, the priestly service in the person of Aaron were anticipating and looking for the Messiah. And here this family, this good family, this faithful family, this couple who had served all their lives, walked blamelessly before the Lord, God orchestrated every step that Zechariah would be picked for that week, on that day, to be the one out of 20,000 who went into the Holy of Holies to hear the voice of Gabriel say, you will bear a son, your wife is pregnant, you will have a son, and you will name him John, and he will point the way. That's hope. That's hope. That Jesus is coming, and he will come. And I can tell you now, we celebrate Christmas as a historical event, but Jesus is coming back. In the same way that he came and the hope of Israel was pointed to that moment. And can I tell you, so many missed it. The thing that they have been longing for, they missed it. Even John's role here to turn the heart of Israel back to their God and to their father. Jesus is coming back. And we have hope Hope eternal, hope that does not fade. Hope that supersedes our circumstances, what we're walking through. Hope that is bigger than anything that we could, could even comprehend in this life. As Paul says, you're going to walk through suffering, but suffering's going to produce something in you. There's going to be a perseverance and character that's produced in your life. And out of those things, hope, hope will be birthed. Hope will rise, not a wishful thinking, but a deep knowing, a deep knowing that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Listen to the words of Zechariah's song, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. This is after John has been born, and they're trying to name the child and give you a little context. In, in, in Hebrew tradition, the ch children were always named after family members. John was not one of the names that was found in, in either Zechariah or Elizabeth's lineage. There was no, no one named John. And so Elizabeth is trying to say, no, he, his, his name is John, and the people are arguing with her. I'd be like, it's my baby, but right? But they're arguing with her, and so they look at Zechariah, and he writes down, his name is John. And his lips are loosed. And these are the very first words, you know, emotional, that he speaks. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. I can't see my screen. I'm crying. (laughs) As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you my child will be called a prophet of the most high. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the path of peace. Hope. The things that you spoke of long ago through your prophets and through even our father Abraham. That thing that we've been longing for, that we've been wanting, he's coming. Zechariah prophesied and he spoke of Jesus first. And then he spoke of his son, John. And you, my son, you'll prepare the way. Zechariah's words... I'm sure he had a lot of time to think. Well, he had nine months to think. And the things that were going through his heart, if you've not had the opportunity or the ability to speak for nine months, your next words are going to be really important. This is what flows. We started this morning talking about that that waterfall, that flowing, that outpouring. Zechariah's heart was so full. And that breath... He must have just taken a big old breath and said, here goes. And he speaks the word of God as the Holy Spirit gives him utterance. Hope. Hope for his people. Hope for a nation. Hope for salvation. Hope for eternity. Can we stand this morning? Maybe you're like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Maybe there's things in your life that you're looking at going, God, I prayed a prayer a long time ago. And I've kind of given up on that prayer. God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten. Hope does not disappoint. Not because of the hope, but because of who the hope is in. That the same God who from the moment that sin entered the world started working his plan to bring restoration and healing and wholeness. That he introduced hope. That he used the words of the prophets. That he used the words of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and Esther and Job, that every one of them in the words that they speak, in the words that we read in scripture, was hopefully pointing towards a moment in time when Jesus would be born. 
And that hope did not disappoint. That hope was revealed in Jesus Christ. Hope was revealed in Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives when John was born. Hope was revealed when John lifted his voice and started his ministry and started declaring, prepare the way of the Lord. Look towards his coming because he is near. Where are the places in your life where hope needs to rise? Maybe it's for something. Maybe it's for someone. Maybe it has to do with a relationship. Maybe it has to do with a family member who doesn't know the Lord. Someone close to you has not met Jesus. Let hope arise. Let hope arise in you today. Father God, this morning, we're thankful for the hope of eternity. The hope that we find in Jesus Christ. The hope that sustains us. Thank you, God, that you've allowed us to not just be people who have wishful thinking. Lord, that we can stand in that hope. We can be grounded in that place. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And just like with Zechariah and Elizabeth, at the right time, you answer. Lord, I pray today that you would cause hope to rise in hearts and in minds. Lord, that we would leave today knowing that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you will say, you, you've said you will do. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and that you were born, laid in a manger, an expression of hope for the world. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Our prayer team is going to come forward.